listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. I remember I was so surprised when my teacher told me that uh, that he wasn't going to be able to um, teach me anything. <laughs> he said, I have nothing to teach you. And then he followed that up with the word literally. I have no thing to teach you. So I kind of chewed on that for a while. I wasn't really sure what he meant, but I figured, well, he's He's balder than I am, and he's got a really cool robe, so, you know, something's working. <laughs> uh, but it was, a, it was a very powerful, powerful phrase, and he went on with that to kind of suggest uh, that, the, you know, towards the, as far as the teaching was concerned, the Dharma, we're looking at our work here as eventually helping us become lights unto ourselves, to use the Buddha's phrase, that we become lights unto ourselves. That awakening is never given to you because you already have it. You have everything you need. Everything you need, everything you could possibly need to awaken is right here, right now, in this moment. And uncovering that is a, a fascinating process. It's a fascinating process. Because it's fascinating in that it doesn't require our minds to grasp anything. It doesn't require our bodies, believe it or not, it does not require that our bodies stay in a particular position. Right? As much as we have this side of the room almost very skillfully, uh, all on cushions and everything, yes, you should feel very, uh, very, very, very attached. <laughs> right? Don't be attached to your position. Uh, I find that uh, that's a, actually a really cool uh, debate that goes on. I'm totally lost. Where was I? Sorry. No, that's all right. Cushions. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uncovering your enlightenment. There we go. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uncovering our enlightenment. It's bizarre for, for uh, students to hear, hear that, that it's, that it's all there. Because we have been schooled, literally, and conditioned, literally, to reach for stuff, okay? To reach out for every bit of, if you will, ascent up life's ladder. It's always the next rung that we keep pulling ourselves up on. You know, it's all, we're always reaching. And this is different. Instead of it going out there, we're reaching for something. We are uh, aspiring to be something other than what is. This is about turning inward. 
And it's about recognizing that light that always burns. It's always already there. This very, very simple light of awareness. It's an awareness that has never not been there since you were very, very young. Now you, in this relative form that you're in, you've changed a great deal since you were a young kid. But your awareness of the world around you has never moved. It is still. I had this uh, a student who sent an email that said, um, well, <clears throat> when awareness, you know, if I'm aware of something, that means I change it. Because in the, in the awareness, I'm actually doing something. I'm, I'm being aware, therefore I, I change my surroundings. So it's always kind of elusive and so forth. And actually, no. Awareness is non-doing. You are not doing anything when you are aware. You are aware of doing. I'll say that again. When we are aware, and I'll tie this into meditation in case you're feeling like really totally lost right now. When you are simply aware, simply aware of what is, you are not doing anything. You are being aware of what is getting done. You are being aware of the you of the I, of this me. Awareness is not touched by that. If you ever said to yourself, I, I am so angry. I am angry. Okay, that step into the anger actually is really fascinating. It's an egoic move outward. I am angry. And now I've created an identity around our anger, or I am in pain. Well, when you can be aware of your anger or your pain, when you are aware of the anger or pain, that's the move I'm talking about. Instead of, I am angry, meditation allows us this amazing gift at uncovering the light that burns within the moment we can say instead of I am angry I am aware of anger that's the big I the big self that is aware of the anger when you are aware of the anger there's this little bit of space that's opening up between that thing you sense as you and the anger and in that space is freedom, is liberation, is awakening, is everything the Buddha taught. So when we sit still, we're creating a scenario where that can happen on its own. We sit still and we just watch our own home movies in our minds. Sometimes they're really cool. Other times gruesome. Other times these fantasies where we just get lost. Whatever the case, just try not to get hooked by them. Instead, try to be aware of them. 
and in that awareness of those movies, in that awareness of whatever is going on while you're sitting, you are practicing generating the space that allows for awakening. And space, space is exactly the no thing my teacher was telling me about. I have no thing to offer you. Just this space. So I spoke a little bit about how this teaching is quite simply the communication of spaciousness. It's the communication of spaciousness. In other words, where we can begin to allow for a certain always already present spaciousness to kind of begin to inform what it is that we are, how it is that we behave, how we meet the world. Instead of meeting the world from a place of being hooked, of being caught, or of being addicted, we meet the world from a place of spaciousness, of openness, of infinite possibility. And one area in relationship to this that I, I really don't touch on it probably enough, but it was brought up uh, a couple of times over the past week and I thought I would address it. How does one find the right teacher for this? And when I'm given that question, I oftentimes uh, may sound very flip because I will always say, look, everybody every situation, everything is your teacher. There's nothing, in other words, that is not your teacher. But I was very fortunate in my particular path because I had so many. I refused to kind of commit early on when I first kind of started this journey. I was, you know really attached to that idea of being a light unto oneself. And I confused it because I thought that meant that no one can teach me anything. There's nothing to teach. Therefore, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to do it myself, which is exactly the definition of delusion. We cannot do this from the perspective of what is contracted and attached and small. We must do this in the presence of others. Okay? In the presence of others with. The whole Dharma hinges on that word. The whole teaching hinges on that word with. We practice with. Okay? And what happens is we start to see over time as we do a lot of withing, we start to see that everything is connected. That we actually, instead of being a small bound self, we are space. We are that infinite still realm of space.
of no thing, of no thingness, or in Zen we call it emptiness. Emptiness. We are that. And once we get there, once that starts kind of unpacking itself, we then can participate with the world differently. This is not about going away, at least my sense is that in the 21st century that is not a very helpful teaching. It's not a very helpful teaching to just kind of go off into the monastery and stay there, wherever your monastery might be, to just stay there. It doesn't help. Let's bring it back. That's the, the whole the whole of it. It's, it's so critical. So quick story, I decided that, um, and some of you are familiar with this, but college was a tremendous amount of fun for me, and I drank way too much beer and chased way too many skirts, and something was missing. I just knew something, I have everything I could possibly want, I've had these amazing, you know, experiences, these amazing classes, these amazing uh, relationships, everything was just, it couldn't get any more amazing, amazinger. It was the most amazingest ever. And it was lacking. Something was, something wasn't there. And so this friend of mine said, well, why don't you go out to the Zen Center? <laughs> Which, that's pretty much a good response to any any quandary or anything. I just got to the Zen Center. <laughs> so I, I took his advice. And there is this elfish little man sitting at the front of this hall filled with people who were taking themselves so seriously. In my, this is the way I interpret it anyway. It's kind of this cocky college guy walking in. You know, what do they know? Uh, why, are they so, why are they so cranky? Doesn't anybody smile around here? You know, it's just, it, I was very, very much caught up in my own trip of what it should look like. But the little elf sitting up in the front was something pretty spectacular. I realized that there was nothing I could do or say that would really get to him, but everything he was saying was getting to me. And it wasn't in a good way, okay? His presence carried something really special. And that was the first thing I was, I was drawn to. My ego, my small self, was really drawn to the fact that this guy had enough charisma to fill an entire stadium. You would know if you walked in, it was that type of, it's like, whoa, what is that? And it's probably no surprise that I immediately went, I want that. That's, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I want some of that. I don't know how he does it, but I'm going to figure it out. I, 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 you know. And his teaching that day was basically the reason why any of us feels pain, any of us suffers, is because we crave. There's this craving. There's this addiction that we have to things. What do I have to teach you? No thing. What do you mean? I, I was absolutely left. There was nothing I could do to get my mind around it. There was nothing I could do. I was lost. Absolutely lost. And that is a good teacher's 
job. A good teacher's job is to keep you so off balance that everything you thought you knew is suddenly torn asunder. Is suddenly, uh, huh? In that huh space is where we actually begin to allow that spaciousness of the Dharma through us. We don't know we're doing it. Hopefully. <laughs> if you do, then ego is just kind of co-opting the whole experience. But it just kind of starts. Well, that was three or four years before I kind of decided that I really should take this whole Zen stuff seriously. It was just, I was just kind of flirting with it because I wanted what he had. Um, I found that I would show up to not only San Francisco Zen Center, Green Gulch Farm, but I also go out to Spirit Rock. It's the cool thing about living in the Bay Area is that you've got all these choices, right? Or so I thought. The problem was that for a number of years, all these choices were actually quite, uh, uh, they're an invitation to spiritual paralysis. Because what I kept doing was sampling, and I kept sampling, and sampling, and as a result, I was going towards the stuff that made me feel good, okay, made me feel good, as opposed to the stuff that got me to question everything. If I was going after the stuff that made me feel good, in other words, what, I, what was I really doing? I was going after the stuff that supported the ego. I was going after stuff out there and like, you know, putting it on. It's like makeup or something, literally. Literally. And it's not to take anything away from all these organizations that I think do a miraculous job of kind of lifting all of us up. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not saying that. I am saying, however, that the teaching took off when I decided to commit to a teacher and I decided to commit to a style of teaching that resonated, that reverberated, literally reverberated within me. It probably could have been any one of the traditions, honestly. It probably could have been any one of them, but I was not satisfied with my... Uh, religious experiences, uh, my, my experiences with most churches and so forth. And there were even problems that I had with the way that Zen Center dealt with things. I even had problems with my teacher. I didn't like him very much. And that was perfect. Uh, I trusted him. For a number of years, for the first few years we were working together, I'd, he, had, he was not interested in being my friend. And I was not used to people ever giving me that. I was always used to be, I, I could, you know, kind of develop a relationship with someone like, you know, hey, we're pals, <laughs> right? He was not interested in getting hit in the shoulder. He was not interested in being my pal. He was very clear about being my teacher. His job was to help me uncover the space that was already within. And he was very clear about that. And I thank him to this day. I owe him everything. My gratitude shows up in this moment with all of you. Despite the fact he was a total jerk face a lot of the times. He didn't give me what I wanted. He didn't give me what I, he refused. In a really compassionate, wise, and caring way. What was he doing? He and the rest. The rest of the teachers there. Okay. 
And even the teachers when I went away, when I was in Thailand, and when I went to uh, Nepal, all of those teachers were essentially doing something really, really remarkable. And that was breaking my addiction to ego. Because that's where the space shows up. It can't if you don't do that. A good teacher will help you break your addiction to your small sense of who you think you are. It will break your addiction to your own mind. It will break your identification that you carry with your body. The dislike you may have for your physical appearance suddenly becomes superfluous. A good teacher helps you see, warts and all, that you are a divine expression of the infinite. Now, having said that, that's the way it worked for me. And I would actually tell everybody in this room, it's a really good idea to go sample. I think it's a really good idea to, I certainly am not the only game in town, as most of you know. Keep looking, keep searching, keep searching, and something will usually hit whether it's me or somebody else, something will usually hit where you go, aha, aha, okay. This guy can keep me off balance. This lady can keep me off balance in a caring way. <laughs> 